Let's ask God to open his word to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, let us hear of your steadfast love in Christ, for in you we trust. Make us to know the way we should go, for to you we lift up our souls. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord, we have fled to you for refuge. And teach us to do your will, for you are our God. Let your good spirit lead us now on level ground. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering together a series through the book of Philippians, and we've come to uh, chapter 3 in our consideration. And so we're going to read together the first seven verses of chapter 3. The first seven verses of chapter 3. And let us pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. I know that stopping as I did at verse 7, you expect me to go on to verse 11 to, the, to finish the thought, but um, to go on to verse 11 would be to bite off more than we can chew, I think. Uh, there's plenty to consider and to think about in these verses to meditate upon uh, before we consider the end of uh, that particular section. Uh, Paul is calling God's people to rejoice in the Lord, to find their joy in Him, to find their happiness in Him. Um, And that's such an important thing for God's people to remember, uh, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ if we are to find our joy, to look to who we are in Christ if we want to find our true happiness. Um, And it's such an important message, as Paul will go on to point out in this section, because there are plenty of people who will call upon us to find joy and happiness, to try to find those things apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to find those things in who we are. If you ever have a chance to walk through the, the shelves of the self-help, the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, uh, you'll find all kinds of books that will promise you the way to find true happiness, the way to find true joy, the way to find true understanding. Um, and often it's in yourself. You didn't know you had all this power within you, um, but go through that section and you'll find everyone suggesting there's great power within you, untapped potential, and it's the source of real joy 
and real happiness. The challenge is that we face in this world is there are always people who are going to come along and tell us how to have joy, how to find happiness. Um, the, the, the current phrase in our culture that, that has the most traction, I think, is human flourishing. Um, if you want to find human flourishing, there are any number of voices that will tell you how to find it. Uh, but Paul is reminding the Philippian church and the Holy Spirit is reminding us there's only one true source of joy and happiness. There's only one true source that lasts, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in these simple verses, Paul is really repeating himself. He's telling them things that they've heard before. Um, he's calling them to, he's writing them, as he says, the same things that they need to hear. Um, they need to hear the call to rejoice in the Lord. So the first thing Paul does is he calls. The second thing he, do, he does is he warns. He warns them against people who would tell them to find joy and happiness apart from the Lord. So he calls, he warns, and finally he encourages. He encourages them where true joy and happiness can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are our three simple points. He calls, he warns, he encourages about where to find joy in the Lord. And so we, we see in verse 1 that Paul begins with an important call to God's people, where he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you. Um, he's admitting that he's repeating what he said before. Uh, you might remember when we started this, this series through Philippians, we, we pointed out that this is really very much a letter of joy. Uh, Paul talks about joy and rejoicing more in this letter than he talks about it in almost any other letter. Um, on average, once every seven verses, Paul talks about joy. He talks about rejoicing. That's been his theme, and he's admitting he's writing again on that same theme. He's saying the same things to them again, um, that God's people need to rejoice in the Lord, and we need to be reminded of the joy that we have in the Lord over and over again. And Paul's reminding them that this call is an important call. Um, he says some really interesting things beginning in verse 2. Um, and maybe when we're reading through the, these verses in our own study or as we're doing our own personal devotional life, you, you have a tendency to want to get into the really interesting parts and maybe skip over the things that seem more obvious and understandable. Um, so when he says, you know, rejoice in the Lord, look out for the dogs, we might say, oh, well, that's the dogs. Who are we talking about? You know, we get into those things. We find those things to be more interesting. And we could quickly pass across something that says rejoice in the Lord. Um, we might say, okay, Paul, that's kind of first day stuff. We know that. Who are the dogs? Who are the evildoers? Maybe boys and girls, you're hoping I'll get to that right now. You're going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into that. But we, we shouldn't skip by, right? If we believe that all of God's word is God-breathed, that God has breathed it out, God doesn't waste his breath. Everything he says is important. And there's a certain importance that Paul wants us to get from this call he's giving to God's people to rejoice in verse 1. That this call to rejoice is, in a sense, a continuing call that God's people have to hear again and again, and that it's a crucial call for us in this world. Um, something of the continuing nature of this call is when Paul says, finally. 
maybe you haven't had a chance to think about this as much as I have, but why does Paul say finally right in the middle of what he's talking about? Right, we have four chapters, and by my math, that means we're smack in the middle of the book. Um, and so why does he begin by saying finally? Is Paul just being a typical preacher? Because every now and again, preachers will say finally and then not stop. Or they'll say finally three or four times. Um, I've never done this. I'm just saying other people sometimes do. Um, I try hard to avoid that, but sometimes it's, you do it. You, you say, now finally, and then you go on, you say finally again. Um, is Paul just being a typical preacher? Um, is he saying finally before he really means to stop? Well, no, of course not. This word is not just Paul's word. This is the Holy Spirit's word. He doesn't make mistakes. And there's another way we could interpret that word finally. There's another way we could translate that word. Um, elsewhere, it's translated from now on or henceforth, to use an older word. But I think from now on is really the thrust of what Paul is saying here. Um, he uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 7.29, and there we have it in our ESV, from now on. That's what Paul's saying, that this is to be a continuing call to God's people. It's not just now, it's all of our lives. From now on, what are we to do as the people of God? We are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to rejoice in who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be the continuing call to God's people in every age, at every point in life, is to continue to look to the Lord Jesus Christ for our source of joy and happiness. Because we all know that when we look to other things for our, for our sources of joy and happiness, those things can disappoint us and fail us. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ who offers a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Um, a joy that never disappoints, a joy that never lets us down. And so Paul wants that to characterize God's people from now on. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Find your joy and happiness there. Uh, that needs to be the continuing call to God's people in every age and every experience of life, to find our joy in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says, to write these same things to you, I'm not saying anything new, right? I, I doubt anyone's going to go out of here and say, you know, the pastor said we should rejoice in the Lord. I've never heard that before, um, right? But sometimes the nature of instruction that we need from God is to have the same things repeated to us. That's why we go through God's word more than once. You know, you don't read the Bible through the Bible once in your life and then fold it up and say, now I can put it aside. I've done that. Um, parents, you know that's not how it works with children. You can't tell them something one time and expect them to have it mastered. You may need to say it more than one time. Um, we're like that. And Paul says, you know, to write me the, for me to write the same thing to you is not bothersome to me, and it's safe for you. Um, he shows something of the, not just the continuing call to God's people, but he shows that it's crucial. He doesn't mind repeating it because he knows that's where they are going to find their safety. To be, continued, to be continually reminded that everything we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we need, he provides to us. 
And we don't need someone to come along and tell us there's another secret way to find joy and happiness. We will find safety if we can continue to keep in our hearts and minds that our joy will always come from the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. And we have to constantly find that as our source of joy as God's people. You have a God who sent his son that he loved to come into the world and lay down his life for your sins. Not because that gave God something, but because that was what you needed. You needed to be set free from your sins. You needed to be saved by the death of the Son of God. And the Father was willing to send his Son, and the Son was willing to come. And that salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ effected on the cross, that is yours by faith in him, that faith that is given to us as a free gift by the Holy Spirit, that has made us right with God. And if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him, that is a fellowship with God the Father that can never be broken. That you are a child of God forever. That you have been set free from the tyranny of the devil forever. That you are an heir to righteousness and eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And there's nothing that can separate you from that love. You see how Paul is saying, no matter what else is going on in life, the joy we find in the Lord is a joy that never disappoints. It's a happiness that never fails. And it's far more reliable than anything else that someone might come along and tell you to put your hope in. Because that's exactly what Paul is warning them about in the verses that follow. So he calls them to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, And he warns them that there are those who will come to you and try to tell you to find your joy somewhere else. Um, And he really doesn't mince words about what he thinks of these people. Right? What does he call them in verse 2? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Um, Now, I, I promised boys and girls, didn't I, that I'd tell you who these people are. Um, And Paul is saying there are people who will come and try to teach a form of Judaism, a form of Old Testament religion that is no Old Testament religion at all, but is really a religion of men. We know that this church had some interaction with Judaism, right? We find in Acts 16 that they've been exposed to Old Testament religion of a certain kind. But we also know from the New, from the New Testament that the, the true Old Testament religion had been perverted in Christ's time. That they were teaching a form of religion that had nothing to do with the true religion that God had taught. Um, and, and three of the things that characterized the false religion of the New Testament world that Jesus came into um, was a pride in things they shouldn't have been proud of. Right, Pride was one of the great besetting sins of the Old Testament religion as it was perverted in Christ's time. They were proud of things that they shouldn't have been proud of. Um, And what were they proud of in particular? They were proud of their identity. They were proud of who they were. 
right? When, when Christ is preaching to them in John 8, they make this assertion that has no basis in fact, where they say, Abraham is our father and we've never been the slaves of anyone. You say, well, what was Moses doing then? What was happening in Egypt? You, you're selective in your history. Um, and John the Baptist had to say to them, don't you presume and say to yourself, I'm a child of Abraham. He knew what was in the hearts of people at the time. They were very proud of who they were. We are the children of Abraham. We're not like those dogs, the Gentiles. That was how they talked about Gentiles. They were dogs. Um, and dogs were not, you know, the nice pet you have at home in those days. They were the, you know, the mangy, feral dogs that wandered the streets, um, you know, that were flea-bitten and, and dangerous that was their way of saying they're unclean, they're animals. That's what they called. They were really proud of their identities. Uh, that was one of their besetting sins. They were very proud of their law-keeping, weren't they? The Pharisees, Pharisees in particular were very proud of the way they kept the law. They tithed everything. You know, if, they, if they went to, to the store and bought salt, they came home and they counted out a tenth of that salt and they gave it away. That's how scrupulous they were about their tithing. They had a form of righteousness that they were very proud of. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him about the law, remember he says, oh, I've kept all of that from the time I was little. I'm, I'm very proud of my law keeping. They were very proud of that. They are very proud of their covenant membership. We're the circumcised. We're not like those uncircumcised people. They're very proud of all of those things. And Paul takes all of those things that they are proud of and turns them on their head. He says, you want to know who the dogs are? They'll tell you it's the Gentiles that are the dogs. They're the dogs. They're the people who are teaching a religion that is no religion at all. They are the people who are unclean. Uh, they're so proud of that. They're so proud of their law-keeping. You know what they really are? They're evildoers. They think they're practitioners of righteousness. They're evildoers. Isn't that what Jesus said about them? They were the people who would be scrupulous about tithing the salt that they bought at the store. But Jesus said in Luke eleven forty two, they would neglect justice and the love of God. They're very proud of their law-keeping, but Paul says they're evildoers. They're very proud of their covenant membership, their circumcision. But what does Paul say? All they are are mutilators of the flesh. The, the kind of thing they're talking about has nothing to do with God. It's just a mutilation of the flesh. Because God has always wanted more than just circumcised bodies. Even in the Old Testament, what did God want? He wanted circumcised hearts. That's what the law said in Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Right? Jeremiah says a similar thing in Jeremiah 4, 4. The whole Old Testament was not just about outward ceremony. It was about the inward state of the heart. And Paul said, people are going to come along and tell you, you need to be something else. You need to be like them. 
They may be practitioners of what they see as the true religion that Paul says is no religion at all. And Paul says, you want to know how I know that? That you should stay away from these people? Because I was once the worst of them. Right? This isn't some, some form of anti-Semitism on Paul's part. He's not being mistreatment. He's not mistreating Jews. He's speaking as one who was formerly a practitioner of that kind of perverted form of Old Testament religion. And he's saying, I'm telling you to look out for the very thing I used to be. I was the worst kind of this person. You want to know what a dog and an evildoer and a mutilator of the flesh really is like? Look at me as I used to be. Because Paul says, I was once so proud of who I was. And I can, I can rattle it off for you. I think, he, you know, he's so practiced in thinking about himself this way from his old life that as he thinks back to how he used to be as a Pharisee, it's easy to rattle off all of those things he was really proud of. Right? Verse 4. Someone's going to come along and say, you can find peace and happiness in who you are and what you've done. I would be the poster child for that kind of joy and happiness. Because if anyone has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That if you want to talk about who you are and what you've done, I could give anyone a run for their money, Paul said. Who did I used to be? What was my identity? Um, circumcised on the eighth day, right? The, the day that the law prescribed. You can't get any better than that. Um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, right? Not one of those 10 tribes that rebelled against the rightful king. I'm part of the, the two tribes that stayed loyal to the king. They were part of the good kingdom. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not just any, any old Israelite. I'm, I'm a Benjaminite. I'm a son of Jacob's favored wife. Right? I'm, I'm of the good side of the family. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? I'm not like, not like people who might be a Hellenistic Jew. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. We grew up speaking Hebrew. We lived in a Hebrew place. We, we lived the life. You can't get better than I was according to who I was. And Paul says, and then you want, if you want to not just talk about identity, if you want to talk about who I was, what I'd done, according to the law, a Pharisee. Right? They were known as the most scrupulous keepers of the law that there were. Paul says, that's who I was. I was a, a Pharisee. You want to talk about zeal I had for God? I persecuted the church. I wanted to drive the Lord Jesus Christ and his church out of existence. That's how much I cared for the Old Testament religion. And if you want to look at what I did according to the law, blameless. Paul probably had the whole Old Testament memorized. And he probably knew all the laws that the Old Testament required and he was scrupulous in keeping them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had studied at you know, the, the Harvard of Pharisees under Gamaliel. I mean, he was as much of an Old Testament practitioner as you can be. He was proud of who he was. He was proud of what he'd done. 
That was where he found his hope. That's where he found his joy. That's where he found his happiness. Until one day on the road to Damascus, he met the Lord and saw himself for who he was. That he'd been so proud of who he was as an Israelite. And suddenly he saw the true Israel of God appear to him on the Damascus road and he understood himself to be a dog. To not be anything like the true man of God who appeared before him. He understood himself for who he was and he understood himself for what he'd done. Right, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said to him. And in that moment, he realizes he's not been as righteous as he thinks he's been. Actually, he's been an evildoer. That he's nothing better than a mutilator of the flesh. And he says, people like I used to be, they come to you with nothing to offer. Because you can't find joy and happiness in your identity or in what you've done. That is not a road that leads to joy and happiness. That's a road that leads to enmity with God. And that's so important, not because, you know, we can say these things are so far removed. Is this anything we deal with? You know, you might be tempted to say, okay, pastor, I get it. If I see a Pharisee coming, I guess I'll avoid them. Thank you for the helpful life lesson. Right? It, it, does this have nothing to say about who we are now? Well, if you've ever talked to a non-Christian and tried to share the faith with them, the, the two things you will run up against is their identity and their sense of what they've done. You will hear over and over again, I'm a good person. Um, they might believe that bad people go to hell, but everybody thinks that they're basically a good person. Not perfect, they'll tell you, but I'm basically a good person. They're, they're comfortable in who they are. And they're comfortable in what they've done. Not only am I a good person, I've tried to be a good person. I'm, I'm nice to people, I'm a, I'm a good family member, I'm a good neighbor. And more and more people are, are, are saying, if you really want to be happy, you have to really understand your identity. Um, we've been talking about identity politics and people being so fixated on identity as if that's the, the way to find joy and happiness, to be your true self. And what God's word comes to us and says is, your true self is not a way to find happiness. What you've done is not the way to joy. Um, where is the way to joy? Well, Paul doesn't just warn, he encourages. He says, where, where do we find joy? In recognizing that we have a new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul can gloriously say, that's what I was, and I'm not that anymore. I was the chief of sinners. I was an evildoer. I had all kinds of pride in my identity. That's who I was, but I'm not that anymore. I've had my identity changed. 
And it's far better than those things I used to be proud of. Paul says, you know, what can we, what can we hope in now in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are we now in him? Um, well, he opposes all of those things that he tells them to look out for in verse 3. He says, we are the circumcision. You want to know who the covenant members are? Paul says, it's not them, it's us. We are the true covenant members. We who've been washed by the blood and spirit of Christ. We are the circumcision. We are the people of God who've been set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are in him. Um, we can encourage ourselves in that way. That's our new identity in Christ. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God. Right? That the letter kills the law that people tried to keep. If you try to live according to the law, that will kill you, Paul says. But the Spirit gives life. And we are not the evildoers anymore that we were. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus. If we want to find one key, I think, to this passage, it's that. It's not to glory in who you are or what you've done, but to glory in Jesus Christ, to glory in who he is and what he's done and that by faith in him, all he is and all he's done becomes yours. That that's how God looks at you now, in Christ. He looks at you as if you had done what he had done, never sinned. And as if you had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for you. That's who you are. And you see Paul's encouragement? Why would you need to seek another identity other than Jesus Christ? Is there something better than him? Is there something better than the Lord? Could you do something better than he did in coming into the world, in doing perfectly the will of his Father, not just in his perfect life and law-keeping, but in his death for those who'd broken the law? Is there any identity that's greater and better than being identified with Christ who is the Son of God? There's nothing else that we need to glory in. There's nothing else that we should glory in. There's no true higher happiness, no higher joy than that identity. To no longer be an evildoer, but to be the righteous one in Christ. To worship by the Spirit of God and to glory in Him and to put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that where we tend to go wrong in the Christian life, where we get robbed of our assurance, where we get robbed of our hope, when we start looking to ourselves as a source of assurance and hope? We start to look at our lives and how we're doing and, and take our spiritual temperature that way and forget that all of our confidence and hope needs to be found not in our flesh but in the Spirit who made us alive and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is saying to us? Don't let someone come along and rob you of your joy 
and, and tell you that really to find joy and happiness, you'll find it if you go looking after your own identity and your own work. You don't need to go looking anywhere else because you have the highest and best identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have his perfect work for you. There's nothing else to gain. And so you can look at whoever you were and whatever you've done and say, even the best of it, I count it as loss. Everything I'm tempted to inventory in my life and count as a positive, I'm willing to count it as a loss, as a debit in the ledger. To say, I will lose all that to gain what I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important that we get this right. Because though, although we don't have Pharisees in our day coming and trying to point us in different directions, we have all kinds of voices in our day talking about where you should find your identity and where you're going to find your happiness. And a lot of those voices will say, to do that, you really have to turn your back on the church. You really have to turn your back on the Lord and go find yourself. And Paul wants us to know that there's no there there. It's especially tempting for people, I think, who grow up in the church, young people who grow up in the church, to think the grass is greener someplace else. But listen to your older brothers and sisters in the faith, some of whom have been out there, and know that the grass is not greener. Know that there's nothing out there. And listen to the word of God that speaks by the Apostle Paul here, where he comes in and says, I've looked, there's nothing else there. It's all loss. If you abandon the identity in Christ for another identity, you'll find only unhappiness there. You might find joy for a season, but that joy will fade and the pain will remain. Paul says, don't abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in early life, not in later life, not at any point in life. There's no better identity. There's nothing better to do. There's nowhere else to go. Anything that offers a joy, it will be a fleeting joy that will fade. And in the end, it will disappoint. What the Lord Jesus Christ offers us is a joy that will not fade. Because those who are found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you are forever. You are right with God and an heir to eternal life. All the riches that belong to the Son of God are yours. That does not mean that this life will be a nonstop easy life. That does not mean there will be pains, there will not be pains in living the Christian life. But the promise of the joy that Christ offers his people is that there will be pains in identifying with him and following after him, but those pains will fade. And there will be a joy that remains and forever. That's why Paul is saying we can rejoice in the Lord who offers us a joy and a happiness that never fades, that is true and full and wholesome and lasts forever. So Paul says if someone else comes along saying, let me teach you about a different identity, 
Let me teach you about a different way to go. Say, no, I'm one who glories in Christ Jesus. I have all that I need in him. And in him I have a joy that never fades. So from now on, people of God, let us rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, would you continue to fill our hearts with the joy that comes from knowing that we are united to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ, through true faith. We thank you for the work of the Spirit making us one with Christ so that all that is his becomes ours. We know who we are, Lord, in and ourselves, that we would say, like the prodigal son, we have sinned against heaven and against you and we're not worthy to be called your children. We know that we are evil in ourselves, children of wrath and deserving of death. And yet you embrace us in the Lord Jesus Christ and you give us a new clothing and a new identity. You set a ring on our finger, give us a name that you know, a new name in him. We find our identity now in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the one who's been given a name that's above every name. Lord, help us to always glory in him and not to seek for our identity or hope anywhere else but that we might glory in Christ Jesus, glory in the fact that we are the true circumcision in him, that we who have put our faith and trust in him worship by your spirit and glory in him and do not consider the flesh anything. And help to maintain us in a spirit of humility. For we know, Lord, that we can turn our hearts like the Old Testament people did in Jesus' time and become proud of the things that are ours. But help us always to remember we don't have anything that we've not been given. And the things that we've been given are not because we've merited them, but because of your mercy. And may we glory only in our Lord Jesus Christ and in all humility look to him as our source of hope and happiness. And may we rejoice in him, knowing that he provides us a joy and a happiness that will never fade, but will last forever. Keep us always in his company and care, we pray by your spirit. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.